0: See we've been forgiven our body start the spirit living. Wouldn't you like to know how far you've got left to go? Alright, this is our our late to the party. Uh, series preview of rinky-dinking as the stars take on the Calgary Flames in round one of the playoffs. I've come up with something, boys, and tell me if I'm a spank on, like, nailed it with this. The, the round-robin portion of it and that, and even the qualifiers, postseason.
1: Th- those were postseason games. These
0: are playoff games. What do you think of that?
1: I think it really does give you the tone that you need, the feel. It does, doesn't it? Yeah.
0: I like that. Yeah, well, there yeah, you go. I'm on board. All right. Daryl Ray along with uh, Mike Heike uh, here in the Metroplex uh, and, of course, emanating from the Rose City on the banks of the North Saskatchewan River at the uh, old old uh, billion-dollar bedpan known as Roger's Place. Uh, it is the great Jeff Totes. Continues to pump out just very scintillating and and poignant pictures from up there and everything else so uh there's the intro okay uh not sure when is this going to get posted totesy so that i i can kind of sound brilliant or sound like a moron I'm um, let's say when wait t- today wednesday thursday morning oh so before game two yes let's let's have it out before game well, two there by, you have by it.
1: lunch that's a message to you jeff odom
0: Man, I I thought we were going to try to pretend that this was before the opener and then we could just all sound brilliant and be like, you know, I I don't like the way the Stars are starting games right now, and I'm worried about that. Watch out for the Flames' third line. (laughs) Milan Lucic, Fountain of Youth. All right. Look, uh, chasing hockey is is losing hockey. We've said this forever, and unfortunately the Stars just – continue to go behind early, almost immediately. And then it's, you know, it's cliche nowadays, but they chase the game. Is that the biggest issue they got going right now or something else? Mike Higa.
1: Um, it's, it's a really good point because they, the way they get down uh, varies uh, in many different manners. Uh, you know, I think they put a lot of blame on Alexander Radulov taking a bad penalty. Now they could have killed the penalty, of course, but, um, you know, they will say, Oh, this was a problem in this game. This was a problem in this game. So the fact that they get down, it, they don't see a consistency in it. You know, they don't think, Oh, this is something we're doing wrong every single game. It's not um, systemic, yeah, Right. And so my honest opinion is their systemic issue is intensity. Um, I just, I'm watching through the TV and it sure doesn't look like they have entered the playoffs from the postseason. Um, And even when they were in the postseason, it didn't look like they were getting ready for the playoffs. And and I'm confused by that Um, because when they are intense and when they are skating hard, they're a really good defensive team. and, And they really haven't even been that yet in the playoffs. Well, not
0: to be a harbinger of real bad, dark things to come, but, you say that, and that's exactly the post-mortem on the Pittsburgh Penguins. Yeah. They're, you know, very talented team and, and had runs during the regular season, and obviously they have the pedigree and past championships, recent past championships. But they, they just couldn't get their emotional act together, and it showed. So uh, I, I'm, I tend to be right there with you. I went on the radio this morning and talked about some things that need to change, and one of them was – initiate and and send some kind of a message to the team you're going to play here back-to-back nights and three times in in four days, uh, four times in five and a half days, that you're here here to win and you'll do whatever it takes to win uh, instead of just kind of playing along and hoping things work out, which is what it looked like. And that's the frustrating thing, I think, about this team for most people that follow them, cover them, Uh, fans that watch them is that they're so sporadic both with their play and with their um, emotional levels where you watch them for a while, maybe a period or even a game. And you're, you're just thinking to yourself, man, this is going to be a difficult team to beat no matter who they play. And then you watch segments of time and you're like, man, they, they look like the softest on the puck, easiest mark maybe in, in the bubble. And that, that's frustrating. I, I, I get that. I, I get that whole, that whole equation. So. you
1: yeah, Go back to the winter classic. And I mean, I was, you know,
0: yeah. it really was <laughs> yeah. my
1: head was hanging down so low at the start of that game because I'm like, Oh my gosh, they're going to let 90,000 people down. They're going to embarrass themselves in front of an entire national audience and then whoop, ding, no, nope, Greatest game of the year. Yeah. So I exactly. don't know how it happens.
0: Exactly. They are consistently inconsistent and maddening. Yes. They're maddening is what they are. And, uh, I, you know, even within that game, And it, 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 look, I, there are games that are games and there are games that are just games. And uh, you expect something from playoff games. And we didn't get that last night. It, it was just a grind and it could have been a game during the regular season. Which brings me to this. And, and uh, please indulge me here for a moment. I I did some homework today. It, it just, uh, this might not have anything to do with anything, but I found it semi-fascinating because to what we were just talking about, Michael, the, the streaks that the stars had during the regular season, because everyone wants to focus on the fact that they're in this, this muck right now, right? That, that they can't seem to fully get out of they they're not scoring, they're not winning, they haven't won for uh a while consistently, but they did twice during the regular season under both head coaches. So the and the Flames had a role in both of the success streaks that they went on. The the Fran- remember back in November, November 13th to the 25th, they tied the franchise record uh, for consecutive wins. They won 7 in a row. Do you know where that started? Uh, with the Bay Calgary Yes, it did I set you up for that they they won they they won three to one in calgary uh that was uh, that was when uh Dowling scored his first n h l goal oh, yeah. and the family was there and everything right It was a wonderful uh time Very emotional. It, yeah, yeah, it was it was good and I believe at that time he was playing dowling with Sagan and ben mm-hmm. and uh and jamie just listen as I go through this, the impact that the star's captain had on the successful runs. So they were very good in the game in, in uh, Calgary and they, they got things turned around. remember Tyler Sagan was in a a slump and he went out and shot pox and they were better that night. Didn't, didn't turn into, I don't think he scored in that one. He might've. Uh, So then they go to Vancouver. They win four to two in Vancouver, Dowling Sagan and Ben again in that one. And, and they're impactful. Tyler was great that he was in on three of the goals. They go to Edmondson, 5-4, come from behind in overtime. Uh, Sagan slapper late to tie it, and then Jamie snapped that long goalless drought to win it in overtime. They come home. They throttle the Canucks 6-1. to Jamie just goes off. They beat Winnipeg at home 5-3. to Jamie, again, is just a stud in the game. They beat Chicago in a shootout 2-1. to Hadobin was marvelous they beat the, the Vegas Golden Knights 4 to 2 and it was Radulov and Klingberg that sort of led the way in that one especially on the power play. And then they went into Chicago and they lost 3 nothing. They could have won the game. Crawford was fantastic in net. But that that was their run. I mean just it, it was like their their best players impacted all those games. They they dictated what went on and the Stars went on a run. So now you fast forward to around Christmas time and post Christmas. That was the run under Rick Bonus, they won six in a row from December 28th to January 11th. And that was the return of Pavelski to San Jose that ended that. It was a weird emotional game there. But it it started right after what? Right after a 5-1 power play spanking by the Calgary Flames (laughs) at American Airlines Center. And then after that game, uh, Bishop... Sparkled. They beat Colorado three to two, and then that game in Arizona is still my favorite game of the year. That was the, that's still the only playoff game I've seen this year. <laughs> like playoff style, emotion and physicality and hatred and edginess and everything, right? Yeah. And uh, it was old school and and Jamie. It was the poke the bear game. Jamie Ben once they they knocked him semi silly, went off. And uh, they beat Arizona 4-2. to two. Then the one you spoke of, Mike, the Winter Classic, uh, the come-from-behind crazy, wild 4-2 victory over Nashville. And then they beat Detroit, a team you should hammer. They beat them 4-1. Lindell and the FCC line were instrumental in that. Went to Los Angeles, a 2-1 win there. Ben and Como, remember that big blast by Blake Como, far <laughs> down? And then uh, 3 nothing at Anaheim, Ben Bishop uh, p- pops the, the shutout, and he was terrific. And the kids, Hintz and Gurionov, were the best Dallas Stars in the game. So th- there's your two, I mean, significant winning streaks uh, in the regular season. So they need to have their best players impact things like now, immediately and grab a hold of this thing. I know it's a team game and all that, but you have to have your best guys uh, be a difference maker right now. And, and I, I truly believe, whether it's a goaltender or it's your, your high-paid uh, expectation guys or, or your young, uh, you know, frisky, fast players, somebody has to take a, a hold of this thing right now and change the direction for this team.
1: Yeah, and and I think Jamie's the best candidate. I mean, when you saw what Corey Perry did fighting Kachuk uh, the other night, that looked like a type of thing that Jamie would do, and it looked like a thing that would maybe fire Jamie up. Um, And, you know, I I watched their big bodies, um, and and they're really good players. Do they? Just shocked me at how quick he was and everything. And they don't get hit by the stars. I mean, like, just rub them out along the boards, just really – Make them pay for even possessing the puck, and and I think if they if the stars start doing that a little bit more, uh, and I think there were people who were trying. Uh, heck, John Klingberg I think had a pretty good hit the other night. Uh, but, but yeah, things he of did. That na- he yeah, had yeah, Lucic, yeah, things of that nature. I think wear in a series and they wear down the other team and they give you energy. And so the stars need a few players to to start doing that a little bit more. And I mean, I always look at Jamie as a guy who's. You know, because when he does go beast mode, it's a really impressive thing, and I think uh, a lot of times we're all just waiting around for that to happen. Well, not us. I, I think the the biggest problem. I think there are guys
0: in that room that are waiting around for that to happen. Yeah. And and you know, some of that's on them. Don't don't wait around for somebody else to do it. It's the old Bill Parcells line, right about. Uh, you know, just do something. Don't don't wait around for things. Just do something, and uh, and it it feels a little bit that way within games now that they're waiting for something to happen. Yeah, and you, you can't wait. It's a due time, and they they've proven as I just laid out for you that they can do that. They they it's the same group. But, yeah. You know, you can't say well, it, you know, it was Montgomery or something. No, they did the same thing. Uh, well after uh, Rick Bonus had had assumed the head coaching role. So you have to think that somewhere in there, it's still there. Uh, But they need to find it and and find it pretty quick, and they need to find their offense. I know they're not, hey, look, they're not going to score all of a sudden five and six goals a game. It's just not, that's not reality, right?
1: No, I don't think so. And that's not, that isn't who they are. They haven't been that way for two years. Well, years. well, I I mean, I'm just going on this year.
0: 81 games of pretty stagnant offense, and you are the stats that say you are at a certain point. And I mean, that's a full season. If you include the preseason, would they score 10 goals in seven games in the preseason?
1: Yeah, they they were awful there.
0: Right, and then they yeah. scored. 180 goals in 69 regular season games. And now they've scored six goals in five games in the bubble. Yeah. So they've they've averaged 2.4 goals a game. And sometimes they score two and sometimes they score three. And it (laughs) seems to be, right? Like it seems to be the difference between winning and losing. Like because they're goaltending and they're really, they're, they're, team play for the most part allows them to to hang around the one or two goal area. It's not very often they're looking up at four five against. Uh even at the end of a game, let alone midway through a game. So it's it's a weird thing. Like they they need, I think they need to embrace who they are at but at the same time they they know they're not scoring and there are a lot of guys who need to score to feel better about themselves that that haven't
1: and because of that it's affecting their game and it's affecting the team's game. Yeah. What do you think about some of the comments from Rick Bonus on you know we'll do everything we can as coaches but they just have to score. Uh, is well, there some, weight behind that?
0: Yeah, uh, of course there is. I mean they, they've proven this year that they they generate high danger scoring chances. Uh, but they don't convert. Right. Like this they, is just a rancid shooting percentage group. And uh you and know And even it, go to
1: yesterday because I always we always have this argument about shooting percentage. Some of those shots are not on net. So they don't even count in your right, I know. that's not always on goal. But, that's but, always I mean, like, they miss the net by a ton when they have some really clean chances and this is nothing against Cam Talbot, but he was struggling a little bit. And I think, you know, you want to sit there and go, make him stop, everyone. You have to make him stop. And they weren't doing it. They were shooting it wide. They were shooting it high. You know, it yeah. just, it, it was very frustrating. Yeah, he,
0: you know, he, he played – he's played some great goal for, for Calgary. But if, if you're looking for uh, some weaknesses in past uh, – his his ability to kind of uh, agility ability, if you will, yep. isn't as high grade as, as some guys. And he's always had some issues with rebounds. And you're right. If you don't hit the net, you're not going to generate rebounds. Right. Uh, and it's just c- the continued frustration of, and it's festered for a long time. Some games, they generate enough quality looks for half a dozen goals at least. I mean look at the chances they had in that game against St. Louis.
1: Yeah.
0: And yet they you know you're sitting there 1-1 heading to a shootout. And uh, and sometimes they get into games and they don't produce anything at all. So the the reality is this and and it's reality they they have now scored 9 goals in their last 9 games. That's, That's it. not good. No. And and so I understand from a uh coaching uh, standpoint that it's like, look, there. We get into games where we get a lot of quality scoring chances, and we don't bury any of them, or enough of them. Right. But then, and and I think to your point at the beginning, I, I think that weighs on guys, and it bleeds into their their next game, where they're like, oh, there's another game where I haven't scored. Now it's right. eleven games where I haven't scored a goal. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. They just, it, it's as big of a Mental challenges it is a physical challenge of scoring goals uh, for a lot of guys right now, so they're they're in a they're in a weird spot where they they know they're going to have to win games like with a one nothing two one mentality, but at the same at the same time they are getting beat into the ground with the and they know that they haven't scored much, and you do you can't win without scoring. So they're, they're, it's a balancing—it's either a balancing act or uh, something's just going to have to give one way or the other.
1: Yeah, the pressure's real. Uh, Joe, Joe Pavelski said it when he banked that one in, that the weight was lifted. And we've seen either Jamie Benn or Tyler Sagan or whoever throw the monkey off the back of whoever was in a stump. Right, right. I mean, it's real. There is a monkey on your back, and you feel it. And so, you know, for them to continue to do, do this game after game after game – it only gets heavier as you move forward. And at some point in time, they have to shake it off or they won't be successful.
0: Yeah, they, uh, I mean, they get they get told, they watch video, they they uh, try to dig in and, and uh, you know, whatever it is. Like the game against St. Louis, it was all those power play opportunities. And yeah. you'd think, okay, those are your best players. They've, they've got to be the ones that get chances and uh, have to bury them and, and feel better with that, doesn't. Then the power play starts squeezing sticks a little harder, and hey, it's a it's a wild, wild ride.
1: <laughs> and yet, Confidence. when you look at the history of the players, they all can do this, it yes. seems like. Yes. I mean, you've got Radulov, Ben Sagan, Povolski, Perry, the kids. I mean, Garionov's got a heck of a shot. Yeah. So they can do this, it's just they need to go out and do it.
0: Yeah. They do need to go out and do it, Mike. You <laughs> should get coaching coach, advice, coach, Mike. <laughs> if you can, if you can get a message to them uh, from us and Rinky Dinky. We need them to go out and do it. Okay. I'll pass that. I'll pass that along. That would be fantastic. How uh, you're around them? How is the mood after you know four or five games up there and and dropping game one? Uh, tough. I would say definitely tough after yesterday. That's probably. The lowest it's been so far, honestly. Yeah, because the game actually—you're into one now. Right. You're not just you know nibbling away at this and that, and uh, it's you're you're now three losses from being eliminated. That that gets real in in a hurry, I would say. For sure. Yeah. The uh, uh, how about the other game that was going on? Uh, The thing is, I don't don't know how many people actually were focused on Stars Flames because uh, the Tampa-Columbus game started before us and ended way after us yesterday and postponed uh, another game, the game that began at breakfast today uh, in the Bruins and, and Carolina game, five overtimes, five OTs. I'll be honest with you guys, and Mike, you've been around here long enough that you've seen some of these epics with the Dallas Stars, but I, I truly believed that the the era of these long overtimes was done, was dead. The, the, you know, I thought once we got into the cleanup style of play and the fact that you couldn't just hook and hold and grab and tackle your way through overtime periods and the referees would put their whistles away, that you'd never you'd never get past two overtimes again, three at the most. And and then here we are, five OTs. It was, and part Britain of that was pointed. because
1: the refs did swallow their whistle. I, I agree. I agree. So, which is a little bit frustrating. I mean, I know it's the history of the game, but uh, if you earn a penalty, you should get a power play. Yeah, yeah. And that, so, that should be the fair part of the game.
0: So I mean, people started clamoring, obviously, because it affected another game, and and uh, you know, how how do you how do you trim this thing a little bit? Because I'll, I'll I'll tell you first how, where I'm coming from. I, I uh, think the time I think the time is. I don't think people have the appetite for for marathon overtimes anymore. The uh, this isn't the 1930s. the The idea I would I would put forth would be once you've played another entire game, like if you play three more overtime periods without deciding it, then you should drop down to three-on-three, and it'll end. It'll end in three-on-three. I don't want to see a shootout ever, ever in everness (laughs) end a Stanley Cup playoff game, ever. It's wrong. You can't have a skills competition, And then, you know, a shooter against a goalie, you got to still have some semblance of the game. I know they do it in soccer. This isn't soccer. If you go three on three, we love it, and you'd have your best players on the ice. There's tons of open space. If you didn't score at one end, you're probably going to score at the other and game over. I, I like that, and you do too, don't you?
1: Actually, I do, now that you mention it. It's funny. I'm rolling in my head going, three overtimes, maybe two. (laughs) Is three overtimes too much? I don't know. I mean, you know, whatever. I I do like the idea, like you said, it's funny, because in international competition, they actually do decide championships and shootouts uh, in hockey. So, you know, we've got that history in the past. Uh, So it could happen, but I'm with you. An actual moving play between you know player and goalie is, is what you need um yeah. and, and and I think the three might be the the number for it um it we, don't, we don't get to three full overtime very often so it'd be very no. that it happens it, it, yeah
0: it's too long then i mean you play two hockey games that's that's, yeah. is, that's nutty maybe i'm maybe i'm wrong i wouldn't want to see it where you just get through one overtime and now you're down to 3 on 3 yeah. right I don't. I don't think that would be right either. And and the thing that, that everyone should probably remember about it, 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 or keep in mind when you're you're contemplating this this premise that I've put forth, is that the guys will play differently, knowing that that there's a finality to five on five regular play, and that it's going to go three on three. So it may the intensity and and just what goes on, it may end earlier anyway. Right, with that, the potential for that on the horizon.
1: Yeah, if you so see you, the other team as a great three-on-three team, exactly, you may, you exactly. may really go let's let's go end this thing. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, out of that, Seth Jones, who I just love and have <laughs> for a long, long time, uh, I still can't believe that trade with with Nashville. I mean, Ryan Johansson for Seth Jones. I, I would have I would have emptied my cupboards for Seth Jones.
1: There's a lot of bad trades up there.
0: Oh my god. That's a bad one. The uh, anyway, he he played what, sixty five minutes exceeding ex- on that one?
1: Yeah. A record, right? Wasn't there a record yeah. down? He he uh he played sixty five oh six.
0: Local product Seth Jones, Popeye's boy. And that broke. <laughs> Sergey Zubov's record from 2003 against the Ducks at American Airlines Center. He played 6-3 minutes and 51 seconds of that loss. Uh, both guys lost, isn't that
1: something? Yeah, it is sad.
0: And I don't know whether Seth went into the shower and smoked a, a whole pack of marble lights or anything, but I'm sure <laughs> Zubov did. How old
1: is Seth? Like 25, 26? Yeah. A little bit older than that? What was Zuby? Like 34? <laughs> no. In 03? What was he in 03? I
0: don't know. You're the scribe. Look at I him. I know. It just,
1: he seemed old at the time.
0: <laughs> Man, I thought uh, Butchergrass had the greatest uh, tweet during that, that uh, Columbus-Tampa Bay marathon, though. He puts out, a vaccine will be uh done we'll see a vaccine before this game ends. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and that is the one it's funny cuz i it, i'm with you it's hard to watch in person and and even the players you know they start to show their their fatigue in the game and then they obviously show it after the game but the spectacle gets talked about for days afterwards so yeah. from that standpoint from the league selling the game you know, having a five overtime game is is a it is a spectacle that people talk about. Uh, it Thank makes you. it makes this league different than than other you know other than baseball, I guess.
0: Yeah, don't have that. They just don't have the shots of the people that have hung in for you know six no, hours that would have uh, been of hockey in the stands, which we always had. Uh, I never played in any kind of uh, epic like that, but I, I looked it up. I have called now it gets changed with that game last night. I have I've been on the call for the 3rd, 4th, 5th and 6th longest games in NHL history. I wasn't I wasn't around calling games in 33 and 36. <laughs> uh three and and by the way, three of the 6th longest games are Dallas Stars games. Yeah. Uh of the of the modern era. So, you go to that 03 game that, that Zubov played, all those minutes, Peter Sikora ended it. And you go to 07, game one, against the Canucks, and Henrik Sedin ended it. And then, of course, 08 against the Sharks, and Brendan Morrow ending it. So, the stars are one and two in those. The other one that I did was back in 1996, and I was working for ESPN. And my partner is now the uh, lead play-by-play man on Monday Night Football, Steve Levy. Oh, wow. Yeah, Steve Levy and I called uh, that game between the Penguins and the and the Caps. It was just the wildest affair that went on forever. That was the game, there, there was a penalty shot uh, in the game. Joey Junot had a penalty shot, uh, obviously didn't score on it. Uh, Mario Lemieux got kicked out, <laughs> he got kicked out of the game, and Peter Nedved uh, won it uh, in the wee hours in the morning, in at the Cap Center in Landover, Maryland, where uh, where, where we were. And as, as the story goes, Steve Levy had his uh, dry cleaning in, and he never saw his dry cleaning again. He <laughs> lost all his clothes. I think we were staying at like a Courtyard Marriott or something
1: like that, Holiday Inn. Real high times with the well, worldwide leader. I, I'm gonna guess that that was a pretty funny broadcast with you two, Oh my you know? god! Well, I'll that's punch the thing. drunk it. Yes, <laughs> yes, yeah. And he's that
0: way anyway. Right? You know, because he was relatively new to to play uh, calling games. Right. Uh, he, he he was an anchor, and it was you know you know the way that was the heyday yeah. of Sports Center in the mid '90s. And uh, yeah, we were we were just off the rails for like periods at a time <laughs> and just the nuttiness of it. And in uh, Washington at, at the old cap center where you called the games, you you, you were kind of in the crowd there. It wasn't like you're sequestered or, or separated up in a press box or anything like that. So uh it was, yeah, it was that so, good old days. Yeah. I've been around for a few of them there. Bucko. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, oh uh, hey, here's a note. Some people uh, had asked me this, and uh, I was curious about it too, because the you know the players' association and the NHL got together to make this even happen, pushed a CBA through, but I was I was curious like what what are the players getting out of this? Because they don't get paid, their their salaries are gone, right they get to the, they have a 13 pay period uh schedule during a uh regular season but come playoffs uh, the paycheck stop, but there are there is a pool so i i learned and I, as reported by me that the player pool uh the the bucks have been doubled for this oh. uh bubble but at the same time there are more playoff games and series, and there are more players up there. So I don't know exactly how it's going to break down, but basically I, I think if you lost in the qualifier, you got about 20 grand. Uh, that, that's your, that's your handshake. That's your, thanks for coming. Yeah. Uh, I'm wondering, Tosi, is there slang for teams that lose and leave the bubble yet? Yeah. Not that I've heard yet, but I, I have to say it is wild. On that first day, I guess, when teams started being eliminated up here, we got back from practice, and it was just all the Oilers gear basically out on the curb in front of the hotel, And they were just loaded up. I I think more than ever, it feels like instead of getting eliminated from playoffs, you're truly packing it up and leaving the party. It was wild. It really is a reality show. It It is. Yeah, it is. Oh, man. And you can't even say, like, to Toronto or Edmonton, they're going home. They are home. Yeah, no, they're, they're going getting, outside the bubble.
1: Julie <laughs> Chen has to interview them as they leave Big Bang.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I thought, like, they're being voted off the island or whatever it is, right? Exactly. They get a rose. Did they get a rose or not? <laughs> no, they did So that's they walk out. final. Yeah, walk out to the uh, cul-de-sac and get into a limo and off they go. <laughs> oh, man. But uh, if you win it all, I think it's about a quarter of a million to each guy. Wow. Uh, Which, yeah, yeah, it's a significant chunk of change. And, uh, I mean, again, obviously none of these guys are playing for money. They're playing (laughs) for the chance to hoist Lord Stanley's Cup. You know, it's a goal. It's a lifetime goal for everybody and a little... Little pocket change is always good, <laughs> I guess. Hello. On the tail end of everything else, and and uh, where you go, so uh, I, and I think uh, all the all the franchises are getting uh, a healthy buck if they get all the way through this thing too. But I don't know exactly what that number is. Yeah. So there, I mean, there's a lot of there is a lot of money uh, floating around uh, for this thing, and it, it at a great cost by the league to put it on. Yeah. And hopefully our little D-Stars can find their way uh, through these Calgary Flames and build a little momentum, and we'll still be talking about this stuff and whether they'll get a chance at a quarter of a million in the final and their name on Lord Stanley.
1: That would be wonderful. Yeah. Hey, can I ask you one last question? Yes, this will be the last question. (laughs) Last question for you. All right. So people out on Twitter are discussing some of Rick Bonus's coaching decisions. You know, namely a guy like Andre Sequeira and why didn't they bench him uh, if he had a couple of bad plays? And you and I know Rick very well. And he rolls four lines and he rolls three deep here, and he plays everybody through mistakes. And I think that's one of the reasons he gets the support of the players. Um, So as you look at that, is that a good decision? Is it just who he is? Or, you know, should he be making harder choices and you know, benching guys or, you know, giving minutes to uh rope hints more or you know, however you want to describe it, uh you know, just I guess coaching the uh, moments in the game a little bit harder.
0: Well, I, I think the the best thing any coach can do no matter how long you've been in the game is is be who you are. I, I would think the minute you you start uh trying to be something else you're, you're in trouble and uh, there's a cliche or um, an old line that goes back you know 20 40 60 years probably which is the minute you start listening to the people in the media or the people in the stands you'll become one of them <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point <laughs> and uh you know so they they have a, a belief in things and you know some guys have a real hard edge. Go after you, John Tortorella approach to things, and it can it can burn hot and it can produce things, but it can flame out too, and and uh, we've seen that before. And then there's others that allow people. They, I mean, today's play, player especially, and especially veteran players understand when they've made a mistake, yeah, and they don't need to be told again and and dressed down. And you'd like to give. Uh, everybody an opportunity to, uh, for a make good. And, uh, you know, I believe it, it shows some confidence that I believe in you. You know, just don't make the same mistake again. Go If you play this game uh, trying to not ever make a mistake, it, it's an awful way to play this sport that is so random. And so, you, you know, don't be willy-nilly. Uh, don't be moronic about it. But at the same time, Mistakes are going to happen and you got to live with them a little bit. And to be honest with you, you you play much, much better when you're not worrying about mistakes. When you just, I don't want to say you don't care, right. but you have to have sort of a carefree attitude about you. Otherwise, you end up, uh, you know, rigor mortis sets in and you, yes. you you can't function either individually or as a group out there. So yeah.
1: uh, I can you not know, get I've into Andre's brain, but like the first play, he gets beat to the outside. And so then he, on the second play, when the puck deflects off his stick, he backs up way too much because I think he doesn't want to get beat to the outside. And so it's a, you know, situation of where one golf shot affects the next golf shot. And, you you know, I do think Rick's strategy helps players get to a place where they feel they have the confidence of the coaching staff and they feel that they can get back into the game plan even after they make a mistake.
0: Yeah, and, and look, guys have bad games. Uh, you know, some some you just have to move forward. It's one game. Didn't have a good night. Give me another chance. Uh, I'll make good on it. And uh, and I'll say this too, two things, and then we'll get out of here. One is that I'll I'll never second guess in uh, coaches. They put way too much time in, and uh, you under you know you get you get a chance to talk to them, and sometimes what they plan and what what they do and how they conduct things just doesn't work and and sometimes it does but it's it's the easiest thing in the world to sit back and and poke holes in in whatever uh at least publicly you know we all have our opinions privately uh but i'll i'll support any any guy that puts in any kind of work at that position uh man that is that that is toiling
1: in today's game (laughs) They, they put in a lot of work and all you got to do is talk to people who know Rick and have so much respect for him. And, you know, he believes in what he's doing. Uh, he believes that he's, you know, doing things, quote unquote, the right way. And, yeah. uh, and you know, he's, yeah, he's had some pretty positive results this year because of it. Yes. And I've always said to any, and
0: I've got tons of friends that are coaches that uh, do not try to please everybody. Like don't, don't try to figure out what your star players really want and what your other guys really want and what management wants from you and what you try to please everybody. Cause you'll never win. It'll be a disaster. Yeah. You've got to just what you believe in, uh, be firm about it. Listen, you know, you, you intake opinions. You, and I think Rick does a terrific job of doing that, especially with his coaching staff, but he listens to players too. Uh, you have to do that. You can't act like, you know, everything, but ultimately you make your decisions. And they make mistakes too. Maybe they look back after a game and go, man, maybe we should have trimmed some minutes there more. Maybe I should have played him more. I didn't realize he was going uh, as well as he was. So, But anyway, finish on this. I was talking with Joe Pavelski about uh, DeBoer and, and their success in San Jose and that together. And he said, I love playing a four-line game and a, a very uh, – confident game that, that our game plan was going to work and we're just going to stick with it, but we're going to play four lines in 6D, and, and you have to you have to wear down the opposition. If you try to just ride two lines and, and four defensemen in, in today's game, it's almost impossible. Yeah. So the, the Stars are trying to do that, and I think Calgary's trying to do that. These are two teams, two franchises that were so top-heavy as recently as two years ago and they've become much deeper where they don't have to just depend on Radulov, Ben and Sagan, uh, Gaudreau, Monaghan, and Lindholm for them. Other right. guys get it done. Now, right now, and in this, in this bubble, it's the Calgary Flames that have a true spread offense going, and they're getting contributions from all over the place, and the Stars aren't getting contributions from anybody with any kind of regularity. Yeah. So there you have it. You need to smack... Uh, Lou Cheech and company in the mouth. That's All right, the go, do it it. go do it. thing. Go do it, Totsy. I'm on it, <laughs> Tootsie, I dress Totsy that opening shift and and just drop him and and throw hands and, and just fix it. this thing immediately. <laughs> Punch the bully in the nose and then move forward <laughs> and handle and handle that that little Dylan Dubé. Slow him down. Put a parachute on him of some sort. <laughs> All right. We'll uh, we'll be talking about a, uh, probably a two game lead for the stars and the uh, and just the spectacular nature, almost perfect net mining of Ben Bishop. The last the next time we uh, convene on rinky dinking, we'll talk to you then. Got so much to